So this evening, we're pausing in our journey through the um, upward spiral of um, liberative dependent arising to include compassion. And compassion really threads through the whole thing. Um, It's not separate. It's central to the um, Buddhist teachings. And I'd like to begin this evening with this poem by Woshan Shire. She was the poet laureate um, in London, England in 2014, and she's from Somalia. What they did yesterday afternoon. They set my aunt's house on fire. I cried the way women on TV do folded at the middle like a five-pound note. I called the boy who used to love me and tried to okay my voice. I said, hello. He said, Washan, what's wrong? What happened? I've been praying, and these are what my prayers look like. Dear God, I come from two countries. One is thirsty. The other is on fire. Both need water. Later that night, I held an atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world, and whispered, Where does it hurt? It answered, Everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. And we live in a world caught in immeasurable suffering. The suffering in our own lives, in the lives of our families, everywhere, everywhere, as Washan says. And the Buddha was moved by the suffering he saw around him to respond to alleviate suffering. And he he was, in fact, the embodiment of compassion. And in many of the Buddha's teachings and in the Buddha's um, followers, compassion was what they emanated. Kuan Yin, at the back of the room, we have a statue of Kuan Yin. Avalokiteshvara or Chinrezig in different traditions sits on a lotus flower, sometimes with arms outstretched. And this opening, the lotus flower representing the flowering of the heart, the deepening and opening of compassion and wisdom. Sometimes she holds a vase and is pouring out boundless compassion, endless and boundless. Sometimes a willow branch, which has the capacity to bend before every storm and not break, to keep staying with and standing upright. And it's not a passive receptivity. There's a warrior fierceness to Kuan Yin, to compassion a fierce determination to end suffering, 
fearlessness and courage to turn towards and stand with. So it embodies both receptivity and agency. I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh that says compassion is a verb. And it's that natural response, desire and motivation to end suffering through active engagement rather than passivity. And compassion and wisdom are intimately connected. Ajahn Amaro um, writes that um, them as both being imminent and transcendent. And he uses the example of the word that was often given to describe the Buddha, Tathagata. Gata, as we explored before, is gone, gone, completely gone, transcendent wisdom, gate, gate, paragate, beyond, beyond. And tata is such, thus, thus come, suchness, utterly here, utterly attentive, utterly attuned, And that's the compassionate aspect, completely embodied and attuned and alive to what's here. And the practice of the Dharma is embracing both of those. So we're taking on the challenge of releasing, of letting go. That's the wisdom aspect, becoming clearer and clearer. And then, through compassion, appreciating the wholeness, the attunement. And even though sometimes they're described or seem like two distinct movements, they in fact are um, just like the in and out breath, um, just this constant flow between the two. And... um, This is a quote from Gill. Compassion is inextricably linked to liberation. As our freedom grows, the capacity for compassion increases. As compassion increases, so does the importance of freedom. Liberation supports compassion. Compassion supports liberation. And they both benefit when they go hand in hand. So compassion includes a profound understanding of the emptiness of everything. When we were exploring the aggregates as being empty of a sense of self, of them being empty of solidity. And it also actively engages in the world, people, things, everything. So that every intention in our practice then is really to awaken for the benefit of all beings, everything. Mingyur Rinpoche says, if we could learn to develop compassion towards one another, a spontaneous understanding that whatever we do to benefit ourselves must also benefit others and vice versa. 
We wouldn't need laws and armies and police and guns and bombs. The best form of security we can offer ourselves is to develop an open, compassionate heart. And we know that when there's separation, there's an increase in alienation and fear and distrust and divisiveness. We experience that for ourselves. And the Brahma-viharas, all of them, generate an experience that's not separate, that's interconnected, where we know our interdependence and we no longer wish to cause harm because we feel that sense of harming self harms another. The Dalai Lama often speaks about fear and insecurity happen when we don't feel valued. We need to feel included in society, valued in society, to know and experience interconnection. We all need that. And the less valued and needed we are, the more alienated we feel and the more fearful. And we all sense that happening. It can happen in our own hearts and it happens all around us. So to talk a little more about compassion and the barriers to compassion, often it's talked about relative compassion. Compassion coming from an ordinary mind that's um, coming from a sense of self. I'm a good, compassionate person. That sense of being identified with being compassionate. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's still valuable. But ultimately, as our compassion becomes more boundless, there's a sense of ultimate compassion that's unlimited, that radiates out to um, all beings. The rays shine everywhere. And it's natural responsiveness of the heart that's free from being confined by self. Biku Analio com, um, compares compassion to the sun at sunset, when darkness is very close by, just as when compassion opens the heart to the suffering in the world. Even though it's dark is very close by, the compassion lights up the sky of our minds and hearts all the more beautifully and colors the whole sky. So even with darkness there, there's this beautiful radiance that compassion brings. So then it's like the chant that we've been chanting at night. It's um, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will to all beings everywhere. And in that boundlessness, the heart is free and liberated. When we say, let's develop compassion, 
we're intentionally taking compassion as a practice, aligning the conditions of our dualistic mind with our true nature. So we're kind of aligning the compassion of our practice with how we actually are until um, there's no duality anymore and we are being compassion or compassion is being through us. So it's a natural response. It's not something that I do. And sometimes it can help to say, may there be compassion. There is suffering. May there be compassion. And rather than my pain, there's pain here. May there be compassion. There's pain out there. May there be compassion. And when we decrease the confined sense of self, it makes so much more room for the radiance of the heart to shine through. And we feel that clarity and warmth and compassionate energy. So true compassion is wishing others free from suffering. Often in English, compassion means to suffer with. But that's not really what the Buddha was teaching. Rather than suffering with, the focus is on a positive quality, wishing them free from suffering. The Dalai Lama gives this example. If you see someone crushed by a boulder, you don't get underneath the boulder to feel with their suffering. You remove the boulder. And so it's doing things that will relieve suffering. That's what people need. Not for you to wallow and get lost in their suffering. And when I was first practicing as a physician, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. And I realized that I was trying to fix people's pain so that I didn't feel it. Was it, it was not just about, of course I did want to relieve their pain, but it was equally about that I couldn't bear it, so I had to fix it. And so I ended up over-functioning and creating codependency and... Um, rather than creating empowerment. And it was as though I was reaching out to them and their illness as objects, not seeing inherent wholeness. And so I would get entangled and stressed out. And I could see that it wasn't helping them by me feeling the pain. Because there's a difference between being moved by suffering and having people feel the compassion that holds that rather than feeling someone's fear about it and need to fix it. And when we can rest in awareness and really allow the suffering, then a response that's appropriate to be with that particular situation can arise. A monk once asked the Chinese master, Hugh Men, what is the work of the Buddha's whole life? And Yun Men replied, an appropriate response. 
So through his compassion, through his compassion combined with wisdom, an appropriate response would arise. And that's really stayed with me and supported me in many different ways. So the Brahma Viharas then both arise from our practice and they create safety and trust and refuge in the heart. So as Gil was saying, they create this reciprocal relationship. They support the safety so that we can let go. And the more we're able to let go, the more compassion and kindness naturally arise. And the more they arise, the more wisdom deepens, and then the more we're able to let go, and so on. And so they really work together. And some of you have been re- been reporting in our discussions how when you're able to stay with something difficult, really be with it, some difficult mind state or emotion, rather than turn away. As the feelings passed through, what arose spontaneously was compassion, just by being able to stay with. foundation for our compassion practice is self-compassion. It's so important to be able to open our heart to our own suffering. Just to be able to acknowledge, this is really hard right now. May I be held in compassion whilst judging is here, or whatever the situation is. And also to sense that we're not alone. This is so helpful um, to include awareness of others who are feeling this particular type of suffering. May all who are experiencing this suffering, just like me, be held in compassion. Just as I'm so hurt and afraid, May everyone who's hurt and afraid be held in compassion. And there's just that sense of opening and not feeling separate. And also what we find when we turn to the suffering of others, we're more able to be with our own. It increases our compassion in a really beautiful way. There's a beautiful story in this book, um, The Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu that some of you may have read. Um, Sorry. They're talking about... um, a man who was on death row after a trial that was a travesty of justice. And he was so angry and heartbroken 
about how the American justice system had failed him, that he decided to stop saying anything. He didn't say good morning, he didn't say good evening, he didn't speak to anyone. He would just write it down on a piece of paper. He was so angry. But going into the fourth year, he heard a man in the cell next to his crying. And he says, The love and compassion I'd received from my mother spoke through me and asked him what was wrong. He said he'd just found out that his mother had passed away. And I said to him, Look at it this way. Now you have someone in heaven who's going to argue your case before God. And then I told him a joke, and he laughed. And suddenly my voice and my sense of humor were back. For 26 long years after that night, I focused on other people's problems. And every day I did, I would get to the end of the day and realize I hadn't focused on my own. He was able to bring love and compassion to a loveless place. And in doing so, he was able to connect with joy, even in one of the most joyless places on the planet. While he was in prison, he watched 54 people, 53 men and one woman, walked by his cell on their way to the execution chamber. He got his fellow inmates to stop banging their bars five minutes before. And he says, I discovered on death row that the other inmates hadn't had the unconditional love that I'd had from my mother. And so we all became a family. And we didn't know if the people out there had friends and family. So we were their family. And we banged the bars to say to those who were being put to death, we're with you, we still love you, right up to the end. And so we can receive the deepest layers the deepest compassion into all the layers of our suffering. And as we do that, we develop the capacity to do that for others. And there's a difference between, as you've all been finding, embracing suffering and pain and wallowing in it. Poor me. And it's this not identifying with it or seeing it as permanent. Realizing that awareness is larger than that. The pain is being held in compassion rather than the pain holding us. Just as he was holding those people's pain in compassion and helping relieve their suffering. And it's really um, that 
clear how it decreases our own suffering when we can put our own experience in perspective and release us from this tight grip of me, that opening our hearts to everyone. But it does require that we can feel our own personal hurt and not fight it. And the more we don't resist it, the more the compassion will arise spontaneously and the more we do feel that we can help and be with others. Because if we're otherwise, if we haven't experienced and been with our own, we're not attuned. And when we're not attuned, we can cause harm to ourselves or to others. So then we, when we're attuned, we can be there in a sensitive way. Um, and then compassion begins to arise naturally. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the blocks to compassion Um, because there are many of them. And sometimes we can think that it's a Buddhist ideal um, to be present for suffering without denial, without reactivity, without defensiveness, without aversion. When really, compassion is being able to be there with our aversion, with our denial, and care for them, not resist them. Because compassion is harder whenever there's resistance there. It creates an energy block and it, the compassion can't flow. And we tend to react in two ways in response to suffering, both of which block the energy. And they're called the near and far enemies of compassion that um, <clears throat> many of you are familiar with. So the near enemy of compassion is when we feel sorry for ourselves or another. It's that suffering with. We get lost in the other person's suffering. And then we get exhausted or overwhelmed. Or we we identify with it to the extent that we can't function and it's not so helpful. Or we start fixing to try and avoid it. And fixing kind of aligns us with seeing the wrongness in everything, seeing people and things as needing to be fixed. Rachel Naomi Ruman says, seeing yourself as a fixer may cause you to see brokenness everywhere and to sit in judgment on life itself. And when we fix others, or when we fix, try and fix ourselves, we lose connection with wholeness. We just see what's wrong. And it creates barriers within ourselves where we can't, we can't see our own wholeness, or we create another out there who has to be fixed. And we don't want to be fixed. We just want to be heard held in compassion, cared for. And when we're able to do that with respect and with caring, 
we're honoring another. And we're there for them, however they are. Um, there was a patient, a man who came to my office who had serious chronic illnesses. And he would come in every week with this huge long list um, that I had gotten hooked into believing that I was supposed to fix. And so I would always think, I can't do this. <laughs> and I would feel helpless. And he would get angry. And one day um, he got, um, was reading this long list and got really angry with me. And I could fi- feel myself getting angry back. But I had enough presence of mind to realize I, would about, I was about to be unskillful. So I, took a, I, I um, gave myself time out <laughs> and went, and went like that in another room and came back. <laughs> and then I said, um, that wasn't working for either of us, was it? Can we start again? And he was really relieved. And we both sat there for a few minutes. And then I was able to say, it just sounds so frustrating that there are all these things going on that nobody has any answers for. And just from that moment, it shifted it. I wasn't trying to fix it. I was just being there. We sat in silence for a few more minutes. And then lo and behold, some idea came up in my mind that wasn't related to the illnesses, but to some way of finding joy in life. And so we began to talk in a different way. And it changed our relationship. But as long as I was caught in becoming the one who had to fix, I couldn't connect with compassion. And so it's that giving people the space to fully allow however it is that they are. They don't need to hold something back. Um, And we can care about the suffering. May the suffering cease, even though we can't fix it. And it helps us be with difficulties. So true compassion doesn't come from wanting to help others less fortunate than ourselves. That's that kind of um, um, charity attitude. But from realizing our kinship with everyone. So we're standing with, standing up with, or lying down with, if it's a terminally ill patient, rather than... um, standing up for. I um, was at a conference with some, it was a, about, it was an AIDS, AIDS conference, um, and there were people from different countries, and we had got together to share stories and experiences about this. And um, there were people from Africa, um, from different countries in Africa, and um, they said to us, the only difference between us is where we were born. That's all. And we each have different circumstances from which we're facing this. And we were able to share and um, in a compassionate way exchange ideas. 
And it was very healing for everyone and empowering. What I've also noticed, um, and I want to tell another story about that conference, but I'll hold on to it for a minute. What I also learned from from working with so many different um, patients in my office was that attachment to an outcome got in the way. Um, And I would start to pick that up by noticing a contraction. And as soon as I noticed a contraction in the body, I would notice the process of, oh, heart closed. What is it that I can't bear right now? Is it that I don't have an answer? Is it that I don't want to tell this person that there's nothing that can be done? What is it that's causing this contraction? And so mindfulness and compassion are so helpful in our practice here. What's the contraction about? What is it I don't want to see? Can I bring compassion in and allow that to be here for both the contraction and whatever it is I'm afraid of? So the Buddhist teachings are helping us welcome and embrace and make space for whatever is here. Whether it's overwhelm with grief for the world or Um, despair that we can't do enough, whichever aspect it is. It helps us just to keep showing up. This is from Mingyu Rinpoche again. He says, thinking that someone or something you care for is in pain can break your heart. But a broken heart is an open heart. Every heartbreak is an opportunity for love and compassion to flow through you. Every heartbreak, an opportunity. I, um, some of you know, um, some years ago, I was with a group of health professionals um, setting up clinics um, in um, Tibet. And we saw a lot of really difficult and painful things, many of which we had no answer for. I saw a young woman with tuberculosis, and I knew that she would die if I didn't treat her, and I couldn't. I can't remember even whether I've told this story this retreat. (laughs) Um, But many things like that. Um, And... Sitting there with her, she had a small child and she had tuberculosis throughout her body and there was nothing we could do because the Chinese wouldn't allow Doctors Without Borders to provide ongoing TB treatment. And um, I felt helpless and despairing and overwhelmed. And so again, I went out, I took my time out (laughs) and then came back and cried and came back and was sat with her and was able to see her wholeness and the joy of who she was and the beauty of who she was even though I couldn't save her life. And when I got back to Canada I felt a lot of despair and also anger. 
I went and taught her to a beautiful retreat center in the north of Canada that's a little bit like Esalen and has beautiful hot tubs and incredible food and gardens and people were having massages. And I come from Tibet where there was no water and not enough to drink, never mind to bathe, and barely any food and people were sick. And I just couldn't, um, I couldn't, I was, I just felt too much anger and um, hurt. And I lost my faith a little bit. I thought, where are all the bodhisattvas? <laughs> Why is this still happening? How come? And seeing these, these women who were carrying great heavy things of bricks on their head to build the new roads that were being put through their country, and just seeing that and feeling the pain of that. And, that, and, and the other thing, while I'm on a minor rant... <laughs> was that um, <laughs> they were, the women, their wish was that they, that they be reborn as men so that they could then become enlightened because women can't be, couldn't become enlightened. And that made me even more upset. <laughs> and so I realized it's time to go on a retreat. <laughs> this is not working for me. And so when I went on the retreat and sat with it and sat with it, I just felt like my heart was breaking. There was so much grief. And so I was saying to myself, my heart is breaking. And then tears came. And then suddenly this feeling like, oh, my heart is broken. And there's this huge universal grief that was not me, not mine, but the universal grief of all people in those conditions, and of all the contradictions. And then then came universal compassion. Compassion, not my compassion, compassion for all of us caught in that place. And that was such a, a beautiful feeling, to feel both the depth of the grief and the depth of the compassion. Um, and to be able to experience the wholeness of people and not just see what was wrong, but also appreciate their beauty. So it's powerful facing compassion. And then the far enemy of compassion is when we can't handle the depth of pain. And actually, I was in the far enemy. I had a lot of anger and rage at what was going on. That was there too. Um, Because the teaching is to make it boundless, to have the compassion be touching every being, no matter who, even though there may be some we don't feel are worthy and some who we would exclude in whatever category that might be. But everyone, no matter what, is deserving of compassion. And so we're asked to expand and release the barriers until that too, until we're not limited by attachment and aversion 
and it truly is boundless. So the far enemy is when the heart closes and we shut others out of our heart, contract against, perhaps we ignore them. Or we use the energy to strike out and there's violence and it can be a low-grade irritation to minor things in our lives or it can be oppression and violence. Sometimes we internalize it and that's so painful or it gets projected out and that's so harmful and we see that so much in our world whether the axis of evil is over there and we can't look at our own darkness. And so we need to have compassion for our own shadow and for all the places in ourselves. This is from St. Francis. Can true humility and compassion exist in our words and eyes unless we know that we too are capable of any act? Always from the child's hand, the sword should be removed. I think every nation is an infant. And so it's that deep recognition of that potential and being able to heal it, to acknowledge and heal it. In Nelson Mandela's autobiography, he says, if they can learn to hate, then they can be taught to love. Goodness is a flame that can be hidden, but never extinguished. The oppressor must be liberated just as much as the oppressed. Both are robbed of their humanity. We have achieved the freedom to be free, but we are not yet free. And that's to be able to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of everyone is what's required. There's another um, lovely piece in this book Um, and this is from Desmond Tutu where he's saying nothing beautiful comes without some suffering and he says you know when Nelson Mandela went to jail he was young and you could almost say bloodthirsty he was the head of an armed wing of the ANC then he spent 27 years in jail And many would say, 27 years, a total waste. And I think people are surprised when I say no. Some of those years were necessary. The suffering in prison helped him to become magnanimous and willing to listen to the other side. To discover that the people he regarded as enemy, they too were human beings with fears and expectations. They had been molded by their society. And without that time in prison, I don't think 
we would have seen the Nelson Mandela with the compassion, the magnanimity, the wisdom, and the capacity to put himself in the shoes of the other. So just a bit on self-hatred because it's so pervasive in our culture and it's so painful. Sometimes, often it is internalized from our culture. Some of us have been judged or excluded or demeaned because of our race, our mental capability, our gender, our um, class, so many different reasons that we've been made to believe that in some way we're inadequate or other. And we internalize ourselves and don't realize sometimes how deep that conditioning is. And so there's, it's like the story that you're familiar with of the two darts. There's the self-judgment that's so internalized and conditioned And then there's a judging of that. I shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't have these thoughts about myself. Um, I've been doing this practice for years. How come? And so we're aversive to the the self-hatred. And so it's learning not to abandon ourselves when cruelty and harshness come up. May I be free from enmity and ill will. So where it's wisdom to have compassion for all these difficult states. So with mindfulness and compassion, we can create new patterns. And when we feel the most disconnected and the most alienated, that's a really great time to just reflect what's happening right now. Is there a way I'm judging? Can whatever I'm experiencing be held in compassion, even if you're not sure exactly what it is? Because if we can surround it with tenderness rather than judgment and um, perhaps even cruelty, even just to say, oh, the heart's closed right now, can allow it to release. We're widening the circle of compassion. The more we can include of ourselves, the more we can not shut ourselves out of our heart, the more capacity we, we have to include others. And this just keeps expanding. And even if we can't express kindness to somebody and we can't say, may you be happy, may you be safe, we can say, may you be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May I be free from hostility and ill will. Um, And just this understanding that someone who's causing suffering is also suffering. 
And that if we wishing them free from suffering, we're also wishing them free from greed, aversion, and delusion. But not in a way that's um, conditional. I offer you compassion if you stop being so aversive. <laughs> Um, And that's truth towards ourselves as well. And then compassion for all the mistakes. Many of us have um, mistake reviews on retreat. (laughs) Um, I certainly do. Where memories come up of things that you did wrong or ways that you may have harmed yourself or another come up. And sometimes I've even had come up in a sitting movies where people did something that was very harmful or some issue that's been in the news where someone's made a mistake that caused great harm. And I'll just see these. And um, gradually over time, there's just this deep sadness for the way beings cause harm through greed, aversion, fear, through unknown privilege, however that is. And just to be able to say, may I be forgiven. May they be forgiven. May we all be forgiven. May all people who are oppressing and violent be forgiven. May all be free from causing harm. And then sometimes had this wish that all beings who've been harmed can now abide in well-being. All beings who are in this moment being harmed, may they be free from affliction, free from suffering. All those who are causing harm be free from hostility and ill will, from ignorance, from greed. So just this radiating out of these wishes for, um, for freedom, family, societal, world, universal, may all be forgiven for all the ways that we cause harm. And it's freeing because we can burden ourselves, some of us, with guilt and shame when we begin to recollect or suddenly discover perhaps ways that we've not seen how we've caused harm in whatever way that might be, whether it's unseen prejudices or biases or privilege or um, uncaring or selfishness, whatever. We need to be able to touch these places where blame and shame get triggered and hold them with compassion. Because it's painful when we get obsessed going over and over again, and it's not helpful. The Buddha taught that guilt is not a useful emotion. Remorse can be skillful, because remorse means acknowledging with honesty, this was unskillful. And now I have the intention to not let this happen again, to learn. So rather than making conclusions about I always, I never, I'll always be, about ourselves or another, we're caring and we're taking responsibility. 
and that opens the heart to compassion. So compassion for our own shame or blame or all those things helps us open our hearts to each other and feel connection because those particular emotions are about us and we're still not seeing the other. And so letting go of those, we're open and are with another, connected. Even if it's with shaking or difficulty, we're standing with, receptive to, and attuned. So, with compassion, suffering becomes workable. And we can learn how to not pass on the pain more to ourselves and to others. The ways we've received pain because of other people's suffering, we can gradually start to thin out that cycle so we don't have to pass it on anymore. And we can start to transform the conditions that lead to suffering. Wise compassion reveres the inner worth of everyone without exception. And it sees into the layers that we create and that they create for themselves. So one more story um, about compassion for others' point of view because there's so much, and also our inner points of view, there's so much divisiveness in the, in the um, outer and inner collective world right now and that we lose the capacity to listen to other and... Um, some months ago, one of the a chief of the um, Slotus Nation in um, Vancouver, where I come from, came to talk at the Zen Center, um, and he's a very articulate and wonderful man, and gave us a great Dharma talk. He didn't call it that, but that's really what it was. He was talking Dharma, and in particular about how he'd been talking to the CEOs of the pipeline companies, Kinder Morgan um, and, and so forth, and that he saw them with compassion. They were beings who had lost their way. They'd lost their spiritual connection with the earth, with other beings, and they had formed a connection instead to profit and never enough and that he was trying to help them see the value of the connection with all beings and all of the earth. And that he didn't talk about them with hatred, but more with bemusement and wonder at these beings who had lost their way. And that he was helping the younger people of his particular nation work in ways that were non-harming, learn to go out and talk in ways that helped people see both sides. Because in British Columbia, there are some First Nations people 
who want the pipeline because they want jobs. They're, they're poor. They don't have a way of making a living. And there are others who want to protect the earth. And how can they come together and find a way that is, works for everyone and still protect the earth? So, coming to an end, there are so many ways that compassion um, weaves into our hearts, our lives, and brings benefit to everyone. And we train in it gradually, gradually, bit by bit. We include more of ourselves. I know for me, it's, I'm so grateful that now the default is more compassionate than judgmental. And to feel that compassion arise spontaneously is such a gift. And I'm grateful for people who've challenged me in my ego self-centeredness and at the same time helped me connect with the goodness that's there in all of us. When we can keep connection with the goodness, it enables us to see what's difficult. And then can compassion can come, and we can learn. So both wisdom and compassion. The wisdom to see what brings benefit, to see what an appropriate response might be. So I'll end with this quote. Let those who desire, desire Buddhahood not train in many dharmas, but only one. Which one? Great compassion. Those with great compassion possess all the Buddhist teachings as if it were in the palm of their hand. So let's rest for a moment abiding in compassion for whatever our experience is right now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.